am so excited because I get to reconnect with a great friend, Matthew Dowd, who um, he and I spent some time on the ABC set together, um, trying to get people to listen to us. Of course, you know, we're, we're, we're polite uh, Catholic school kids, and so we don't interrupt, but other people do. Um, but Matthew, um, you have so much political experience and really, um, I think, have your voice has emerged as a voice of reason in America, looking at the reality of the situation, not left or right, but what, what you know, pay attention to what we see in front of us. And so I'm so grateful that you would join us. Um, I want to first ask, uh, you know, obviously you spent um, time in the uh, George W. Bush administration um, and uh, you, you think about those first impressions in the first hundred days. How important is the first hundred days for an administration in terms of setting the tone for um, that first term? Well, Heidi, great to be with you, and thank you for asking me. And again, love to reconnect with you. I've been missed you along the way, and our discussions, which were pretty much in sync on almost everything, um, and how we look at America. I mean, I, I think it's incredibly important. Um, I remember in two thousand, um, I a project that I took on in December as the decisions were getting made about who was going to be president, to put together a binder for then incoming President Bush and his administration on the first hundred days and what we needed to do and what other presidents have done. And it was driven by the fact that it really, first of all, you have in most presidents usually have the most political capital in the first hundred days. So it's their ability to use that capital that then begins usually to diminish over that time or after that time. Um, uh, so they can get done more of what they want to get done using that capital. The second thing is it really sets the impression for the American public about what your priorities are, what you're focused on, whether or not you make mistakes, whether or not you trip and fall. All of those things are set impressions that you could change, but it's more difficult to change once you begin to set those impressions in the first few months of the administration, the first hundred days. You know, FDR understood this. He's really the first one that really pushed the idea of the first hundred days in this. And every president after understood all of that. So I think it's important, though I'll, I'll say one thing. We may be in an unusual time because of the circumstances of where our country is, that the Biden may have a couple of different opportunities post-hundred days uh, to reframe because we have, you know, we're going to be emerging, as you know, from from the pandemic as we are, but also is is there, and which which we can talk about is is the disruptive nature of our politics today um, may give him an opportunity for to have at some point another hundred days in this. But I think he understood, and the administration understands how important it is, the impressions you leave, and to use your political capital to try to get as much as you can done in the first hundred days. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, that I've been preaching to anyone who will listen is that Washington is, is, is irretrievably broken right now. And if yep. you want to get things done, come out to the country, sit down with governors. Governors have to govern. They have to make decisions. They'd love an infrastructure plan because it gives them a chance to make investments in their state. Um, how do you think um, this president has done kind of getting out of the beltway and and uh, moving in circles where he maybe has a more favorable audience to persuade? 
I think they've been very smart in, in one huge aspect of this. First of all, Biden speaks the language of people outside of Washington better than most U.S. senators, as you know, do. Um, he doesn't uh, often go back into like John Kerry used to do of like Senate speak. So he speaks the language. He also is from there. So he has some relation to people out in the country of that. And I think they have done, and which I've tried to say, and I know you have, is to try to define bipartisanship outside of what Washington, D.C. thinks bipartisanship is. And the, the president has a level of bipartisanship around the country that doesn't exist in Washington. There's independents, Republicans, and Democrats, you know, agree with his pandemic relief. They agree with the infrastructure package. They agree with all that. But you wouldn't know that if all you did was talk to people in Washington, D.C. And so I think the more he can define the level of bipartisanship outside of Washington, where it exists, as you say, in states and in cities and in counties, uh, the better. Um, I think they get tr they their only problem is they as they get trapped into this sort of process um, problem of trying to convince in many much of it is the media that they're bipartisan by whether or not Kevin McCarthy or Mitch McConnell goes along with what they want. And I think that's a trap that they have to avoid. They've sometimes fallen in it. Um, but I think they have to really push back on the media on how do we define bipartisanship in America today. I, it, absolutely. And you know what's exciting about what you just said? You defined it by policy, not personality. Yep. Not do I like this guy or not like this guy? Is this somebody who has a plan for the future of America? And I think, you know, the one thing that, you know, I know Joe Biden pretty well, and so do you. Uh, one thing I can tell you with great certainty, he really loves his ideas and <laughs> he can go out and sell them. I, I kind of resemble that remark because I, I always told people, why are you so enthusiastic? I said, because I just fall in love with my ideas. And I think that he has spent a lot of time, in the, especially the last four years, looking at things. What would I do differently? How would I do this? And I think that prepared him to answer some of those questions. But my concern is that now our media has become so centralized. You know, no one buys uh, Matthew a local newspaper anymore. You know, they're just watching Fox News or they're watching MSNBC. You know, so we've got to find some some way to actually communicate with people um, outside of kind of the echo chamber. And I think that's a, think that's a difficult um, lift for anyone right now in politics. The fact we used to say, as Tip O'Neill said, all politics are local. You know, the transition has been all politics are national. You know, and, you know, Heidi, I, I'm going to say, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm going to say something on that. So it's so true. And, so, and, and I'll give you a perfect example. In 2004, when I was chief strategist for Bush Cheney, there was always these people running around about what's on cable and what's on CNN and what's, what's getting to talked about and all of that. And I finally said, I don't want to hear any about that. I said, every morning, I, and every morning I had somebody on the campaign give me a copy of the front page of 14 local papers around the country. 14 local papers around the country. And I said, if it's not on the front page of the local paper, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about it. I'm not going to focus on it because that's what not what Americans really, the most of Americans are fundamentally focused on here. I think that they are, they, um, the Biden administration has been, is catching up to that. But part of the problem is 
is, and the pandemic and, and the response to the pandemic and all of that is a perfect example, which I think they've done a fabulous job on, but part of the failure of, the, of it is not empowering more local people to be the messenger and to carry the message. A perfect example yeah. is our local church here. And as you know, I live in a small town in a more rural area, uh, which is split between Trump voters and Biden voters, we'll say. Our church here, um, the church here, 92% of the people at the church have been vaccinated, 92%. And why is that? Is because the local minister took it on as something that he wanted to be involved in and constantly communicated with people in the church. They didn't want to listen to Washington, D.C., but they were willing to listen to their local folks. And I think that's something that politicians in Washington have to understand way more of. Do you think, I think you and I have had this conversation about lazy politicians and, and politicians who would rather see their face on MSNBC than do a local talk radio show, right? Um, and and so I think part of that is that that there is this thinking that, oh, if I said it once in Washington, everybody knows um, what I think. And and it's like, no, this is communication 101. Uh, the, the mother milk of communication is repetition and knowing where your audience gets their information. And so I, I was intrigued by Ohio. Um, you know, he's been such a, this governor has been such an interesting kind of case study in, um, you know, why it was we used to respect the Republican Party. Um, but now he's running a lottery for vaccinations. Yep. So you, I mean, well, if, if ever there was an example in the last year of this kind of laboratory of democracy, laboratory of ideas, I think it's this one. I think it's fascinating. And it really kind of gets people thinking, quit the thinking uh, Fauci is going to convince anyone to get a shot. He's not. If you were going to convince, be convinced by Fauci, you're convinced. So what's the next level and who are the next persuaders and whether yeah. it's motivated by whether it's motivated by a minister or whether it's motivated by pure greed. I mean, we had we had one uh, story about uh, offering free beer if you went and got, you know, you got a free beer if you went and got a shot. Worked pretty well. <laughs> well, I, you know, and I and I think the 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 level of trust of politicians is Washington, D.C. is at such a low, though Biden has Biden is. Uh, as you know, is his approval rating it actually continues to tick up because I think his performance, people will see his performance. But overall, the leadership in Washington, D.C. is at an incredible low, while the leadership of local officials is still at a high. And so if you were going to think who people trust more, to who they're going to hear from, whether it's a minister, a mayor, many of the governors, that's who they're going to listen to in this, much more so than somebody, I mean, I think the last approval rating of Congress I saw was they were at 14% positive, 82% negative. Nobody's going to listen to them uh, regardless of this. And I think the other problem, as you alluded to, is that, you know, if you add up all of the audiences for cable news, it's about 20 million people. I'll add up all of the audience, Fox and CNN and MSNBC, 159 people, 159 million people voted in the last election. So that's what we have to understand is there's this huge, the same is true of Twitter and other social media, which I'm on and, and you're on social media. It's an important information vehicle, but most Americans are not sitting there having a debate on Twitter. 
Well, I, if I can just put a shameless plug in for your Twitter feed, um, I read it every day and am inspired. You give great quotes, a great, great inspiration. And then, you know, the thing that you do that you don't see a lot right now in either the media, because they're, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. If it's not controversial, they don't want to hear about it. But it's kind of like calling out the truth. Yep. Um, and saying, look, you know, a, a, a child killed in the Mideast, regardless of, of how they how they were, um, how they lost their lives is a tragedy no matter what. Can we just all agree on that? <laughs> and it's and it, it, you know, and it all the stuff that you send out is just so common sense. But yet it's kind of not where the dialogue is. Why is that, Matthew? Well, I think you 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 I, I think that that um, you're you've touched on it, which is this just high emotional, high emotional content. And I get people's passions and I get all of that. But at some point, you know, I, I always reflect on how I'm going to, how I'm going to talk to family and friends it, it, where I live or uh, who I'm around. And they may have divergent opinions from mine, but I actually have the only way I can really connect with people. I think people have to put politics secondarily to the conversations until they connect at some other level because we all share, as you as you fully know, we all share sorrows and joys, and we all share. I think most Americans share some common set of values that integrity matters and honesty matters, and we should care about our fellow citizens and give them respect and all of that. And I think we we need to constantly c- try to move back to that. Instead, we instead of getting into this name calling and you know it, it complete political, like if you're the opposite side of me then you're evil. Um, and there are some bad things that are happening, as you fully know well, and January 6th is one of those really bad things that happened that we need to call out. But I would much prefer people to so connect at, at their shared sense of values first and then move into a political conversation. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm working right now on, a, on an effort to try and bring in energy workers into the carbon conversation. Um, you know, you, what you what you hear from is energy leaders, whether it's CEOs of major oil and gas companies or solar companies. You hear from politicians, you hear from scientists. But, you know, there there's a real impact out there for workers. And and I think that one of the one of the challenges that we have to bring back people into a kind of common American mission is they have to be heard. But yet. Um, you know, to, to your point, when was the last time you actually saw a guy who came off the offshore rig or the guy who was on the rig here who didn't, you know, want to say something politically, you know, interesting? What, what, when, how do we know about his life? And you so, know, you know, what, Heidi, that I, I think that's so important. And, and, and I'm going to just one critical thing I think of, and I, as you know, I left ABC at the end of January. This idea that people that go on television and that that go on the media have to be dressed, and I'm just going to give you one, have to be dressed in a suit and tie and say things in a certain way, I, I think is so out of whack with where people are, especially in rural America. I would much prefer somebody in a Carhartt jacket telling me something in just layman's terms about what's going on or how they're affected or what's happening or what's their view than this whole sort of dressed up model of of how we do things. I think I actually think that's where most people in America are. Just tell me some common sense thing and use words that I know what they mean. And don't talk to me 
in an in a arrogant manner. Don't act like you know more than I know, which is a huge part of the problem out of Washington, D.C. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I did a seminar at U Chicago and I brought in a great friend of mine who is a Boilermaker. And Boilermakers, if you're familiar with what they yep. do, they basically work in coal-fired power plants. And yep. so this is a, I mean, they're, they're, a, they're a union in transition. They're a, a workforce in transition. And you should have seen, I mean, he was eloquent. He was, I mean, in his own way, I, I think that it was maybe the most valuable one hour that the University of Chicago kids had in probably a whole semester of their time. Just to be able to hear someone tell it from his perspective. Look, we think there's climate's a problem, but how am I going to make a living? And and this is the concern of the people I lead. And and it was it was just such an eye-opening experience for these kids. But you never see that because if again, if it it bleeds, I mean, you know, okay, I think you know we can have a long conversation about Liz Cheney, but do we need to have five days? of Liz Cheney right now, um, you, right? I mean, you know, because that's, oh, let's let's get to the controversy because that's going to drive up listenership. But it doesn't unite the country. And I think the media has an obligation to tell stories and to introduce topics that that are important and critical, but they may not be, you know, calling out somebody for being a bad guy. They may just be, this is what's happening in the world today. Well, and, and I think so true, uh, Heidi. And I think the other thing is, is that I think they need to have more, and I know you and I have had this conversation, more people in the conversation on politics that are yeah. culturally aligned with more of America, that are more like live like more of America, that are live in more of America, that circulate with people more in America. And I think that's, I think, part of the, problem both both parties have, the Democrats have it, um, as well as the Republicans on this, is, is that there needs to be like I like people like me, for example, I'm I'm a gun owner. I own, I have five I own five rifles. I go to church every week. I and that I'm like a freaking unicorn or a Martian when I when I go up to New York most of the time because that's not where people are, but that's where people are in where I live. Yeah. I mean, you know, people start talking about uh, gun ownership, and I said, you, you, you really need to understand and not assume that they're all, you know, kind of crazy right wing, uh, you know, uh, folks who who want to have bazookas. That's not who they are. And you, you know, I got a gun safe here. You know, I always tell this story, Matthew. After Sandy Hook, one of the greatest tragedies in American history, um, in North Dakota, the single largest expenditure as it related to guns were, was gun safes. Yep. Right. So, so think about that. I mean, you know, uh, that, that this is that, 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 that the response was, look, we need to be more careful about access to our, to our, um, to our guns. And, and, and most, as you know, you've talked to them, most gun owners support common sense, gun, common sense, gun reform. Most yeah. gun owners support it. Well, and, and again, it's always the extremes that get that that media. But I love I love what you said about how few people are actually consuming that. But yet we consume it as pundits or we consume it as as people who do kind of political work 
under the assumption that, you know, everybody's watching this or everybody's paying attention. I always say the the best thing that happened to me coming in and out of politics, you know, leaving for 12 years is I realized that I wasn't that big of a deal ever. <laughs> You know, it was like people didn't wake up every morning saying, "What does Heidi Eichamp think?" <laughs> we could live pretty good lives without me around. Um, you know, Matthew, on the time that we have left, and and obviously, you know, the goal of one country is to, yep. it, you know, we called it one country because we thought if you named it the Rural Project, it's further dividing the country. And I, yep. I'm just firmly believe that what I, what I cab driver, first generation American in New York wants is not that much different than a family farmer wants, right? Yep. But yet we, we draw these divisions. And so at One Country, we're trying to figure out how we can lower the political temperature in rural America, get, get, get focused back on policy. What advice would you give to the administration as somebody who you know thinks about these issues as it relates to kind of uniting the country regionally? So I, I think what you're doing is really needed and really great and it's compelling for where our country is. So brava to you um, and everybody else. Um, so to me, is, is there, there's basically, and you look at rural America and suburban America and urban America, there's general agreement on the policies, on the policy. If you ask, of course, we should put more money in bridges. Of course, we should put more money in roads. Of course, we should do this. Of course, we should have common sense gun reform. Of course, we do this, but there's a there's a cultural misalignment, and that it's the cultural misalignment, in my view, that makes it hard for politicians um, in Washington to convince somebody, especially in rural America, that though they might agree with them on policy, they don't think they agree. They don't think they're aligned with them on their same values, and they may be, but they just don't feel it. And so part of the thing is, is I think, again, I'll go back to this word. We have to have a level, there has to be a level of humility out of people to go when they go to the areas, they go to small towns, they go to small communities, they go to farm uh, places with lots of farms and, and, and rural areas, that they have a sense of humility. And that, you know, a part of the problem I think Democrats have often fall, fallen into is they have a tendency to get into this lecture circuit where like, I know better than you and what's good for you. And let me tell you what's good for you because I've studied it and this is what's good for you. So just go along with what I want. There's been a reaction and it's been, I mean, Democrats, as you know, fully well, personally as well, there's been a reaction by rural communities to, to democratic politicians in that way. And so I think they need to go back and understand and figure out a way to, to culture, more culturally align themselves, um, not give up on values and not give up on issues, but culturally align themselves with people in rural America and people in small town communities. And if I think they did that, then they would, people in those areas would say, yeah, I agree with you on those policies. And yeah, I agree with you on that. But until they do, they're not going to listen to you on the policies. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that that I've been pushing for, I, I have this this dream that Joe Biden shows up at the Memorial Day ceremony at our veterans cemetery and talks about his his son and talks about his commitment to the troops. You know, Joe Biden ends every speech with may God protect our troops. Um, you know, that, that's something we hadn't heard for four years. 
and and so I think that there are cultural alignments that that are there. They're just never expressed in that way, and they're never seen, right? So so it's got to be just not even uh, not even said, but it's got to be communicated in a way that people get that you are you are somebody who cares deeply about this country cares deeply about our veterans cares deeply about you know our elderly and making sure that they live a quality of life i mean there's so much that unites us culturally and that that never gets expressed because everybody is hyper focused on the thing that divides because that's that's what the media covers well and and i think division i mean i think division has become part and parcel of where where they are and i think the republicans want to keep the division going because they know it benefits them in this way. And I think as people like you or others, um, you venture into the sort of like, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's much that unifies us and let's come together and let's figure out a way. You can be attacked on, you can be attacked on all sides in that. But that's where most of America is in this place. And I mean, we used to have regional politicians and regional parties that we're able to represent that. The problem today is we don't anymore. We have two national parties that aren't divide, that aren't sort of looking in coalitions within their own party primarily, but they're, and, and before we used to have like Western Democrats and Eastern Republicans and Southern Democrats and California Republicans. And, and it, we, we, you could, and then you build a coalition within that. We've nationalized the two parties in such a way now that it leaves many people out of it. Yeah, I, I used to jokingly say I wouldn't be a very good um, New York Republican. <laughs> I, don't think I, I don't think I'd be liberal enough for, for the past part. Yeah, in, in years gone by, because that was like Nelson Rockefeller. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I always remind people, Dick Ottinger, who is kind of a forgotten hero in, a, in American history, was one of the early leaders of the environmental movement when you couldn't drink, yeah, you couldn't eat the fish out of the Great Lakes. He yep. was a, he was a New York um, Republican, and and so the, the this idea that that we can't unite, we can unite. But if 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 division equals power, then then we've got to figure out how to take the power away from people who divide the country. And, and I and yeah. I think there's a role for there's a def, there's roles for everybody in this. But I think if we look more at others and say and not look at with more at others with humility and humbleness and not arrogance, we can accomplish a lot more. You know, I, I've been um, I've been fortunate to meet a woman named Annie Duke, who is a, a poker player by, you know, that's how she- Yeah, I know, who, I know who she is. I watch the poker channel. I love, I love Annie Duke, but you know, she's got a PhD in behavioral science. I don't know if you know that. And she talks about kind of how she analyzed people's moves when they would do things that everybody said was crazy. She, she, she said, look, that my background, I would analyze it. Why, why are they doing this? Because I'm going to assume uh, a, a level of respect and, um, you know, kind of, kind of uh, this is rational behavior. So why is this happening? And, and she's been, I, I keep trying to ask her, okay, how do you start these conversations? How do you, and, and sh- Matthew, you didn't need a PhD. You pretty much said what she said. <laughs> which is which is you've got to find that common ground and you've got to approach it respectfully but but also really probe why do you believe this i mean one of the things that's been so hard is is to see things that if 
anybody's watching, like like the thing we're in now, where now there's this revisionist history that the insurrection wasn't so bad, and they were like tourists in the building. And I'm like, were you? I mean, were you watching the same thing I was watching? I mean, and and so you get to that point where you kind of then just assume that anyone who might agree is 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 in the same mindset that that on facts. And I don't know that that's true. And well, that, that's, you know, you can't have a democracy unless we're all willing to come together for the common good. And you can't come together for the common good if you don't have a common set of facts. And that's part of the problem with, well, with how media has been organized is in the way people receive it and get it. It's now people that we now have completely different quote unquote fact sets that people have. And so I think you, what you're, what you're doing what I try to do is I think a big part of it is just telling the truth, not in like an insulting way, but here's that is, here's the truth. Here's how it is. You know, I, I care about you. I think you should be able to live your life in whatever manner that you think is the right way for you and your family. But we have to agree to some set of facts. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and I think that there's way too much at giving people leeway. You know, I've heard people say, oh, well, you know, capital gains are blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, I'm the former tax commissioner. I can tell you that's not what happens with capital gains, right? <laughs> and and so if you're going to make a decision on capital gains, fine. You think that this is, you know, people who earn money um, by having money should be taxed at a lower rate than people who go to work every day. Um, just say that but don't lie about what capital gains are. And, and, and so it's, it's, it's really hard because I think now that there's no trusted source, right? In the past there, there's been like that one person that you go to, Oh, he's, he's no bullshitter. Right. Yep. Um, you know, a John McCain kind of guy that he he's, he's, he may wink when he says something, but he was never, you know, uh, he was a guy who just said it the way he thought it was. I'm not just saying he was always right, but he definitely um, believed that 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 truth of what he was speaking. There's people who will lie with impunity, and they know they're lying, and it's really, really hard. Well, and I and I think that's to me in whether somebody in your audience is deep blue, feels themselves deep blue or deep red, or listening and trying to figure this out and all this. I say, and they ask, you know, what should I do? I always say is the first thing, vote for somebody that has integrity. Like, don't like just start with there. Somebody that has integrity. They may, you may disagree with them and you may not like some of the things they say, but start with integrity and move from there. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and so, um, Matthew, what's next for you? I need to know. Because I, I <laughs> well, I'm just I'm I'm uh, hanging in my place here in uh, Wimberley, Texas, which is awesome. Uh, out in the uh, enjoying my life. My daughter graduates from high school. My last kid graduates from high school the end of this month, which is great. She's going off to college um, in Maryland at in Annapolis at St. John's College, which is great for her. And I'm gonna you know think about what I want to do. I have a huge um, push within me to because I care, I love this country and I care about our democracy. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I can do best to help our country um, move through this difficult time and get to the other side. So stay tuned. I hope you and I connect more and more and more along the way, because I think we're very much uh, in, in sync on this. But I care about our country and want to do whatever I can to make it what it should be. 
Well, Matthew, I would encourage you, everyone who has a Twitter account to follow your Twitter um, because they will be inspired every day by the great uh, quotes that you put up and by recognizing past philosophers and past writers who who really should inspire us to live a higher, uh, live our lives at a higher level, um, ethically and morally. And so thank you for that. And thank, thank you. you for always being the voice of reason, for always being somebody who will take the deep breath, not take the, uh, take the bait, and to just kind of say it the way it is. And I know that this country is is better off because your voice is out there. And well, so, thank you. I, I I sometimes I do well. Sometimes I sometimes take the bait, and then I I figure out well, okay, I shouldn't have taken the bait, but I try. I every day I try. I occasionally have taken the bait, but but I have to <laughs> I have to tell you, um, you learn from those experiences. Yes, and you do. If every day you think about who do you want to be as a person, and uh, I think I think that. That that's how we grow, and yep. that's hopefully how we're going to grow as a country. What do we want? I, I just close with one story that you might be interested in, Matthew. I I met this uh, young man at U uh, Chicago, and he did door to door in Iowa, and he was trained um, to not say, "Are you going to support you know JD Shulkin when he got to the door?" You know, mm-hmm. automatically people get their guard up, and so the first question he asked at the door was um, what kind of America do you want to live in? And, and he said, remarkably, it was really no different. I mean, we have so much that unites us. I totally, thousand percent agree with that. We've been pulled apart, pulled apart by people who want power as opposed to people who want to move this country forward. And that's where the integrity piece comes. And well, so- God, God bless you, Heidi. God bless you too, Matthew. Thank you so much for joining us. It's so great. And um, let's let's reconnect. You are you're you're really a very special voice in American political thought today. And-